Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I am Art Purcell. I'm Liz Manichel. This week, we have film executive, development producer, and the senior vice president of production and f- for film and TV at Escape Artists, who are responsible for films such as the Magnificent Seven remake starring Denzel Washington, Troop Zero on Amazon, which I've heard is quite delightful. I have not seen it. And uh, the upcoming film, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, starring Viola Davis and the late Chadwick Boseman, which hits Netflix on December 19th. Making a small movie, you've still made a movie. Like you're still, you, you still put yourself out there. You still did something amazing. And I, I do think making a movie in general is amazing. I think it's an enormous accomplishment because like I said, it takes so much to get something made. Um, and so I think for us, we are a company that doesn't necessarily say no to somebody or say no to putting a movie together with a director who's only done one thing. There's probably not enough good words in the human vocabulary to describe how wonderful this conversation with Becky was. Educational is what I would say is a good, accurate word for the conversation. Informative, educational, inspiring, detailed. Yes. Eye-opening. Intense. Pulling the curtain back, if that's a, could be put into one word. I don't know. Because I think she really yeah. kind of highlights what she does at her level in development and working at a big fancy company. And like what she looks at for out of like, you know, independent filmmakers such as ourselves. So it's very interesting. I, I well, thought it was I knew good. nothing about this side of this industry at all. You know way more than I do because I, I didn't I didn't go to generals. I don't pitch anywhere. Um, You've so ever like, been to a, a one general? I've been on one general, Liz. You must have been on at least one general before. I think right? I was brought into a meeting and then found – I thought it was a pitch, but then I think afterwards I found out it was a general. Right, <laughs> like, right. You come in and you're like, oh, I'm ready to pitch this. And they're like, actually, we just want to get to know you. Um, <laughs> right. I was like, why would you want that? Uh, but the point <laughs> being, like, all of the questions that I had were, like, things that I really didn't know the answer to. With right. Most of my knowledge of that, it comes from listening to other podcasts, namely the Just Shoot It podcast, where they talk yeah. about that stuff a bunch. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, you know, it's it's a world I wish I was more of a part of, and maybe one day I will be. We'll see. You will. And I just wanted to shout out to Leah McKendrick, who recommended Becky to the podcast, who introduced us, uh, and um, is a champion in, of herself. So thanks, Leah. But before we get to the most amazing conversation that you'll ever hear, uh, Liz, yeah. what do we got? Oh, there's mail. You've got mail. Breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You've got mail. All right, so our new Patreon patron, Rachel Baldigo, I hope I said that right, Rachel, had a question, um, and so I'll read it for everyone. Um, she discovered the podcast this summer and we were the first podcast she ever really listened to. She said, it was just what I needed after graduating during a pandemic and I lost my spark for anything creative, really. Making Movies is Hard reignited that spark when the first podcast I listened to was uh, when Liz was talking about imposter syndrome and just listening to filmmaker stories of getting into the industry. So thank you. Um, I probably wasn't supposed to read that, but I will now read her actual question, which is um, advice for beginners. Perhaps more specifically, if you had to make a beginner's kit, what would be in that? Be it equipment, lighting, sound lenses, or other resources, websites, books, channels, um, 
info people or any other advice. I think it would be rad to cover this topic because I feel like the way your show is structured really appeals to those who want to get into the industry. It's really encouraging to hear other people's stories. And you're just lovely people who I think could speak well into this. Lots of, lots of wonderful wow. things from Rachel. Wait, beginner's kit. Oh, I wish I thought about this question before we started recording. Ulrich, what do you, what, what's in your <laughs> beginner's kit? Well, it's a very tough question to answer. And I just actually talked to a young filmmaker about this recently, you know, and, and it really kind of depends on like what you want to do and like who you are. Like, are you going to be the kind of person who's going to like learn how to shoot with a camera, edit your own movie, and then like do it all yourself and kind of start that way and just make your own little thing and own all the equipment, which is like a way that a lot of people go. And I think that's totally fine. I, I would say that if that's not your in like, what you want to do and like that's not your interest isn't like to learn a bunch of equipment that um i would go more of the resources way like just like you know go online like go to no film school go to um you know script notes go to th this podcast just shoot it all the different tools that you that are out there you know indie film hustle and just take in all the information and then i'd really just it really starts with like finding the people that you want to make your movies with and like your team i think um because you might write a script, you might, you might be able to, you know, have a great story that you want to tell, but you know, I don't really feel like I wouldn't want to tell everybody to go out and buy a bunch of equipment or buy a camera, buy lighting, buy sound, like, cause it's really expensive and you're probably not going to use it very much. Um, you know, and, and more than likely the people that you find to help make your movie, they're going to probably have all that stuff. So like the, <laughs> the cinematographer that you partner with are, is probably going to have a, a bunch of amazing equipment. You know, they're going to know someone with a lot of lighting or they're going to have their own lighting. You're going to be able to find a sound person. You're going to be able to find all the people who are going to bring the equipment that you need to make your movie. So it's really more important about like, you know, finding the people that you want to work with, collaborating and, um, you know, getting getting into, uh, you know, a group of, of filmmakers who are making things. Because I think that like, yes. so it's not really a starter kit, really. It's more like like meet people who you want to work with and find like, like this is what people have been doing. Like you go online, find some short films, like watch a bunch of stuff on Vimeo or YouTube and then just reach out to those people be like, Hey, I, I like, look at the credits, find the name of the, of the crew and just hit them up. And you know, they're going to want to hear from you because everybody likes to, you know, <laughs> to be, to be reached out to and to, you know, collaborate. Cause that's all what we're all here for. We're all here to collaborate. So I don't know. That's what I would do. It's a huge compliment. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, it's your kit is your relationships, your kit is um, networking. I also think your kit, um, if we're going to be a little esoteric about this answer <laughs> is your inspirations. So I was just thinking like, what are the movies where after I saw that movie, I was like charged up creatively. And I think it's seeking out the classics, seeking out and classics. I mean, whatever. I'm in my mid thirties. Classics mean something to me. That's way different from someone who's like 19 listening to this, but, um, to seek out, you know, substantial archetypes of cinema, like, um, this isn't like really a not referenced film, but, um, not fade away by, um, David, the Sopranos guy, the guy who created the Sopranos. Um, oh, yeah. Like these movies, there's movies like this where I remember seeing that movie and just being like, I want to go make something. I got to go make something right now. Or like, so I think it's developing a literacy 
of content um, that you can draw from, even if it's not visually, but just like artists who excite you and inspire you because that'll keep you going. Um, I completely agree. It's like, if you're, it's really impossible to answer this question, not knowing exactly what Rachel's goals are, but like the things that she needs that are evergreen are people and relationships and then inspiration. Right. I mean, cause like if Rachel's goal was to like be a director of cinematographer, then maybe you would want to buy a camera, right? But right. if your goal is to be like a writer director or a producer director or just a producer or just a writer or whatever, um, yeah, then I would not advise to buy any equipment because you don't need to own that stuff necessarily, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, I, I really like what you said about finding your inspiration because like knowing what kind of movie you want to make, I think is really important before you make a movie and like not necessarily something I knew early on, but like, you know, it's like, where does this movie fit within the world of films and, and storytelling? And like, what are you trying to convey to your audience and how do you want them to feel when they're watching this, you know? And then I think that'll, that'll kind of even help you find like the genre that you want to work in too, because yeah. if you want to make people cry, then it's like, okay, well, you're in the drama land. But if you want to like get people excited and like, like walk away, like feeling like enthused, then maybe you're more of a, of a genre filmmaker, like, you know, so yeah. yeah. Or like, I really want to gross people out right now. So uh, yeah. that's my thing. <laughs> it's like in watching like really disgusting movies, um, right. oh, man. but like what sets you apart? What sets your voice apart too? Um, yeah. What do right. you want to do? And then what makes you different and how can you expand uh, everyone else's um, uh, impression of you <laughs> with, right. with like how you, what you bring to the table? Um, that's a tough yeah. question. Oh I gosh. And it, and it could take a long time. Like it, it could be like, Oh man, like I won't know the artist I am until I made like three movies, you know, um, or at least one movie. So I just think like, don't feel too much pressure to like, know the type of filmmaker you are before you even make anything. Cause like, you're yeah. going to learn about yourself as you make things and you're going to evolve. You're going to change. So I don't know. I would just, I mean, also if you've never made anything before, like, I mean, I think taking your camera out like from your cell phone and just make, shooting something on your cell phone just as a practice test probably isn't a bad idea, you know, just to like see what you come up with if you're using the tools you already have in your pocket. Um, because there's lots of great stories you can tell that you don't need fancy equipment and lighting for that you can just do with your phone. Just just try something, you know, and, and see what happens. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Hopefully that's all helpful. <laughs> yeah, and I think if anyone who's listening has a... Uh, an answer and then could also just tell me who created the sims the, the sopranos uh because i am not googling apparently in the middle of this recording um that would be helpful so thanks and please please let us know what you, what would be in your uh esoteric ditty bag your your ditty bag of your mind yeah mental ditty bag mental ditty bag exactly um yeah and then i don't know also this is a weird thing to say, but I'm just thinking like, if you're a young person and you're just trying to like, you know, figure out how to get into filmmaking and figuring out what you're doing. Like, I think, you know, trying to figure out how you want to be as a filmmaker when you're starting or like what you want to do specifically would be helpful. So it's like those questions of like, do you want to shoot? Do you want to light? Do you want to know the technical stuff? Do you want to edit your own things? Do you not want to edit your own things? I think having those answers early would be helpful because then when you come to somebody to ask advice, they can give you more clear advice yeah. to guide you, you know? Um, 
So I don't know. Maybe those are obvious things, but yeah, I don't know. Just yeah, Rachel, come back to us and let us know exactly what you want to do, and we'll be even better with our yeah, responses. Yeah, totally. So we also have a brand new iTunes review. Should I do the honors of reading oh, yeah. this, Liz? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So this is uh, called "New to Film Writing and Making" uh, by Thirty Three Voorhees, <laughs> uh, left on November tenth, twenty twenty. Uh, Voorhees says, starting my second script, but first real deal screenwriting process. I searched for a filmmaker podcast and came across Making Movies is Hard, and the confidence I've gained from every episode is so amazing. A very well done and informative podcast with two full of personality hosts, a good dynamic, and the guests aren't asked the same questions. I recommend this podcast to anyone who's looking to learn about the filmmaking process. Keep up the good work. P.S. Four out of five because of what Liz brought up. And then the emoji, this, and then a smiley face. Uh, four stars. <laughs> so now I've like, I'm responsible for every star we get knocked down. <laughs> yeah. My- so we're only going to get four star reviews now because of Liz's comments on the previous <laughs> okay. episode. Four stars is great. Four stars is eight out of 10. That's a B, B average, not so bad. Um, thank you for that. Well, this review is full of, yeah, full of personality. So that was good. <laughs> thank you, 33 Voorhees. Much appreciated. But uh, yeah, so if you want to be like Rachel, uh, you could go ahead and support us on Patreon, which was amazing. Thank you, Rachel, so much for your generous uh, contribution. Um, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash podcast to do that. We have stickers. We have pins. We have other things. Not really. Those are the only two things Our we love have. and gratitude. Our everlasting yes. love and gratitude. We have that for sure. And then if you want to be like uh, 33 Voorhees, you can go and leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, and then if you want to do kind of a combination of what Rachel did, which is like, you know, she gave us a Patreon supporting and su- support donation, whatever. And then she also wrote us an email. You can just write us the email part at podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. And we will read things like the thing that Rachel said on the podcast or anything else that you guys want us to talk about. Um, and then lastly, go to our Instagram. You got to click on the link in our bio to go over to our brand new YouTube page where we're getting lots of love, lots of comments, lots of wonderful things. Um, yeah. So check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> and without further ado, here's a conversation with Becky Sanderman, genius, entrepreneur, producer, hero at large. So Becky, you came to us recommended highly from Leah McKendrick, and thank you for being on our uh, show. Yes, yes. So a lot of people hear the term producer, and there's so many different ways to interpret that. Can you tell us a little bit about what Escape Artist is and what, what sure, your day-to-day is? Sure, Escape Artist is wonderful. Um, <laughs> and it's it's basically, it's a production company that, um, you know, we've done everything from The Equalizer to uh, Pursuit of Happiness to Troop Zero. To, you know, we, we do a little bit of everything. We're kind of a company that isn't branded towards any particular type of genre, which is, as a producer, as an executive, is sort of wonderful um, because you can dip your toes in a little bit of everything. Um, but we basically, we are developers really at the end of the day, right? We take kernels of ideas or scripts or, um, you know, log lines, we can do kind of anything. And then we try to um, help the process along of getting a writer to, you know, we, we do notes, we do 
drafts. We do like so many different things that go into getting a movie to a place where either A, you want to take it out to buyers, you want to take it out to sellers. So, you know, in the movie side, it's, are we going to take this to a studio that will release it theatrically, which right now means a lot of different things. (laughs) during COVID um, uh, or, or do we want to take it to a streamer and, and, you know, um, have it released, you know, for everyone to watch on TV. So I think it's, it's sort of, um, it, it's, it's a very interesting process because you're as somebody who came from studio life and I was a studio exec for 10 years, it's, it's such a different, um, it's such a different game to be in. And I, I actually quite prefer it. Um, it gives you a lot more, um, it gives you a lot more capability to kind of, do the movie you want to do before you give it off to a studio where then a studio will, you know, usually come in and give you thoughts and notes and, you know, different ways. A movie comes together a hundred different times before it gets made. Um, or at least that's the way it feels. But I think that, you know, we we're sort of the building blocks to get it to that point where you're selling it to a place that's going to release it. You're never financing a project. No, as producers, you're never generally financing a project at all. No. Um, I mean, there are some companies who are financers and also producers. We at Escapers are not financers. Um, so for us, it's really just about um, digging into story. And I think actually story is probably the most important thing for us as a company. Um, one of the, the greatest things that we've always talked about is getting it right on the page before worrying about selling it before worrying about all the other things that come into getting a movie going because if it's not right on the page it's going to show on the screen so that's that's a big deal for us and we take our time on development you know look everyone's always in a rush to to get things going and like oh my god this project screen oh my god i'm going to set next week and believe me i miss that so much so so very much and COVID has certainly you know uh, unfortunately been been a hindrance to go back to set and we're just now starting to get everybody back into production on certain things. But I feel like for us, if it's not, if it's not right on the page, if it doesn't feel right as a story, it's not going to feel right once you start making it. So can you talk about your process of finding projects in the first place? Like, you know, sure. you have a bunch of readers that pass things up to you that they find somewhere. Like how, how do you search out and find that project that you want to spend like two years developing or whatever? Yeah. And by the way, that is a good, you have to, this is another thing my boss Todd, you know, sort of says is if you love something, it's all on you because you're going to be the one who has to spend two to three years on it. So you better love it enough to spend that much time doing it. Um, but, you know, it comes from a lot of different things. Agents and managers obviously are very um, helpful in that because they take their clients' work out. Um, writers, they, you know, send you specs. They send you, they go out with packages a lot. Um, and you, as a producer, are sort of trying to either, you know, throw your hat in the ring for that or your, you know, what I do with Leah McKendrick, by the way, this is how sort of Lee and I became so close. Um, why she's my unicorn is because, you know, we met on a general, her agent set us up after I had seen MFA and I was like, oh, okay, this is usually what producers, what studio executives do. We, we meet people based on things that we read or based on things that we've seen, um, as just general meetings of like, what else could we concoct together? What else can we, you know, figure out to do together. And that was, that was my journey with Leah. That's been my journey with Leah. Um, and she came in on a general and then I had an idea. Um, that's a lie. I had a, a blog that I had been, that I'd found through, um, two other people, um, who had shown it to me because they, it's a friend of theirs. And I was like, you know, there's this blog I found and I, I devoured it the first time I saw it, like 365 posts in a day I read. And it was just 
unbelievable. I love this story so much. What do you think about it? And she was like, yeah, I kind of like that. And then she went away. And while she was away on her eat, pray, love European journey, she was emailing me while she was on various trains in Europe being like, I can't stop thinking about this. I, I have to, I have to do it. And we kind of came together on it. And, and now we have a show at HBO max. So it's, it's a really, it's a really fun thing to be able to meet with so many different writers, so many different directors. And I think that that comes from to the long about way of answering your question is I think it comes from a lot of different places. I think it can come from agents and managers who are sending you out material or sending you out clients be like, I really want you to know this person. Or it's, you know, we do have, um, you know, my, for instance, my assistant, who's also RCE reads a ton of stuff too, whether or not it's stuff that comes into me or stuff that he's finding elsewhere. But I think that a big part of it too, is, um, trying to, trying to figure out kind of like what, what you want to do next, right? Like what's the the thing, if there's something on your site, you don't have, what is that thing? And then you kind of have a, a focus on, what kind of people you need to be talking to or what kind of projects you're really trying to read as samples to try and figure out how to make that idea happen. Um, so I think that it, it's, it comes from everywhere, I guess, is the answer. When you start, I mean, like your day-to-day, I know obviously it's different um, for everyone <laughs> because of the global for sure. pandemic. It's different for me every day. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess my presumption about people's day jobs in your world is like reading nonstop. Is that really what it is? Like how many scripts are you yes. reading per week? It varies. Um, sometimes you can read, you know, 20 scripts in a week. Sometimes oh you can read 50. <laughs> sometimes you can read... Five. Like it just really depends. I mean, five during is a already pandemic, too much. Five is so much. <laughs> I'm I'm I feel like five, I'm like not doing my job. I'm like, oh my God, I've I've only read five scripts this week. I I'm somebody else is, is gonna be reading a hundred times more than me. I'm gonna feel completely at a lull. But I think that, you know, look, the pandemic again has changed that. Um, especially towards, you know, in the middle of all this. So I would say maybe like four or five months ago. It didn't not even four or five months ago, probably like three or four months ago, um, is is there was sort of a lull in reading material. I don't think that there was there were as many scripts, uh, as many specs. Um, and it was sort of a lot of IP. Everyone was reading books, devouring books, devouring graphic novels, devouring whatever you can to try to figure out a way to establish some new material. Um, and now I think that because this is the new normal, because this is sort of the world that we're living in, more specs are starting to happen. I think writers have really taken it upon themselves to be writing during this time. I mean, writers have work from home all the time. I do not work from home all the time. I am now sitting at my dining room table currently as my desk. And I am here every day with my giant beast of a dog roaming around the house causing <laughs> chaos. And all I want to do is go back to the office. Um, but I think that that's been, the pandemic has changed, I think, how much material you read. And now I think for me, at least, it's been about trying to find material where I can find material. And again, that's been more on like the IP side and and trying to, you know, figure out what we can make from books, what we can make from graphic novels or articles or anything like that. During covid are you doing the same amount of general meetings that you would normally do in non-COVID times? Like, are you doing Zoom meetings and, and meeting new people? Or is it kind of like that's all on hold, you know, during like while you're just focusing on developing a certain project? No, it's it's definitely still Zoom meetings. I mean, it's everything has 
Zoom has replaced everything. So any in-person <laughs> meeting you would have generally had is now over Zoom. So coffee meetings <laughs> where, where each person just has a cup of coffee next to them and they're, this is our coffee meeting. We're at a coffee house, AKA our apartments. Um, so I think that it's, it's, it's a very different, I mean, it's so different. Everyone's going through this, it's not just me, obviously, everyone's going through this, but it's, it's a very odd thing to have to get to know somebody through a, a computer screen. Um, and, and talk to them like that. And not just because I personally am such a personable person. I think I, I like being in person with people. I like getting to know somebody sitting on my couch in my office and, and doing the whole thing. It just feels so much more, um, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, whereas like now it's one-on-one -on -one plus your computer screen, plus, you know, your ear pods, plus all of these other things. Right. And it's just, it feels like, it's a, it's a journey every day to get, to get on another zoom. And now it's, and now it's like, you're zoomed out. I've done so many zooms over the course of this pandemic that I don't know how to get back to normal life. I don't know how it's going to be being in person for a meeting again. It's going to be so strange when we like, should we put a shield up here? Should we, I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> just meet, very hang in the lobby and get yeah. on a zoom. Right. We'll Can you just out. call me from the <laughs> lobby? That would be terrific. That would be terrific. No, I, it, it is very strange. I think it's going to be a, a very difficult thing to go back to the office for some people. I mean, I can't wait. Like I said, I'm so tired of my apartment. I'm so tired of my dining room table. Um, and I, I can't wait to get back to my normal um, or what feels like my normal situation where I have a desk and I have a landline landline, you guys, like that's <laughs> a different, a different thing too. What's a landline? <laughs> What's a landline, right? What's a landline? It just feels like such a different, um, world. And it feels like so long ago now, right? Like it, it, I can't believe it's been eight months almost in this pandemic, um, eight months being out of the office, but, and I, I almost, this is such a tragic thing to say. I feel like that time has gone by so much quicker than it probably would have if we were still oh. in the office doing like the general day to day. Mm. It's very strange yeah. to me because I, I think maybe the, the days blend together. And then before you know it, it's it's like the next Monday and you're like, what happened to last week? <laughs> Wait, let's go. Uh, let's go back a little bit because you're saying you're still looking at content and you're still looking for projects. But I think yes. there's this, um, again, presumption from the indie world that like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I, as a writer, as a director, will my projects even happen? When will they happen? Like all these questions. So I guess to start off that conversation, are you looking for material that is COVID friendly? Like, are you looking for material that's um, flexible and amenable to these shooting restrictions? Or are you just looking for the best thing? Or like, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. I would say both. Um, so I think that because productions have started up again and, you know, hopefully they stick and there isn't anything that, you know, uh, causes everything to shut back down again. Um, I think that, you know, we haven't, the, the stuff that we're shooting right now. So right now we're shooting our Kevin Hart movie, which we're currently shooting in Toronto and then with Woody Harrelson. And then we have two TV shows that we are currently in production on that we picked back up on that we had to shut down during the pandemic. Um, and so I think that all three of those things well, I would say two of those things are not contained material. They're kind of across the board. Like our, our Kevin Hart movie is a big movie. It's our Sony movie. It's, it's a, quite a big movie. Um, but, you know, then we have our Apple show um, Servant that M. Night Shyamalan does. And that's a little bit more contained, right? Like he built a, a brownstone. That's where everything takes place. So I think that 
I think that it, it, it varies. I'm not, I'm looking for both, right? Because I think that you kind of have to right now, if you can find something that is so pandemic friendly that someone can't say no to it, it's just like, why not? Um, and, and a lot of times that can be something contained like a horror movie or like, you know, a horror show of some, of, in some way, um, where you're, you have just that, that one location and you can, um, easily, and by easily, I mean, nothing's easy when you shoot, but like, easier to shoot because of that containment. But I think I'm trying honestly to, to find both. Yes. But I'm also, I'm, I'm trying to be normal about how I look for my material. I'm trying not to make it so different. Cause then I think you miss out on certain things. Um, so I'm not saying no to the things that would have been made before the pandemic in the hopes that, you know, we can get back to a place where we can be shooting those like we would have before the pandemic. But I've been optimistic. And also it sounds like so, it takes yes. a long time to make the projects ready, right? So that could be by the time vaccines are... I'm projecting into your ITAR. No, you're right though. You're right though. And, the, and, and by the way, you know, that's not always the case. I think there are some situations where you find yourself and you sell a project and it's a go movie. You know, a lot of times, not a lot, but sometimes studios will green light to production. So it's like they buy it and they're like, okay, we are making this movie and we're making it in two months. Like that's, I mean, not two months, that's <laughs> never happens. But like there's, there's a process, right? Because you sell something and if you sell something and a studio wants to make it right away, you still have all of the things you have to do. You have to cast it, you have to, you know, put below the line on, above the line. Like you have so many pieces that go into putting a movie together and then you have pre-prep and then you have, you know, all of these things. So I, I generally think that even if you have something that's a go movie, it still, still takes about a year to make. So it's, it's, it's a long process. It really is. That's why, I mean, your podcast is literally called Making Movies is Hard and it is literally pushing the boulder up the hill every day. So this is a question kind of from the indie filmmaker perspective again, like, you know, you're looking for projects, you're trying to get writers in, you know, you're, you're doing generals with filmmakers or writers specifically, I guess. Um, but like, what's the barrier? Like, cause you know, like, would you make a movie that's under 2 million or are you only interested in projects that are like five to 10 million? And then with that question, like, let's say you have a writer director that you want to work with, like, like, do they have to be like two or three movies deep in their career before they work with you in order to actually get on a project that you would produce because you know, you're working on a higher budget levels and no one's going to give $10 million to like a first time or second time director. Like, like can you just talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, by the way, uh, you know, you have a movie, you have someone like Colin Trevorrow, right? That is the yeah. literally exactly what you're talking about. Somebody who made a much, much smaller, you know, festival love movie and then suddenly gets Jurassic. And you're like, oh, okay, that's that's a huge jump from safety guaranteed to Jurassic. So I do think that it happens. I think that if you're, you know, if you find someone's first movie to be so enamoring or so just like, oh my God, this was so impressive, then sometimes you are more of the mindset of giving them an opportunity to make something so much bigger than they've ever been able to make. We, I'm a very big supporter of up and coming directors, very, very supportive of that. And I'm constantly looking for the next big, you know, you're, you're constantly looking for the next Spielberg. You're constantly looking for the next, if that exists, like you're constantly looking for that, for that director who's going to become gigantic, or you're just, you're supporting people coming in. Everyone has to start somewhere. So I feel like 
making a small movie, you've still made a movie. Like you're still, you, you still put yourself out there. You still did something amazing. And I, I do think making a movie in general is amazing. I think it's an enormous accomplishment because like I said, it takes so much to get something made. Um, and so I think for us, we are a company that doesn't necessarily say no to somebody or say no to putting a movie together with a director who's only done one thing. I mean, I just, we, we just put a project together, my colleague and I, put a project together with somebody who hasn't made a movie yet, but she made a short and the short was, we loved it. And we're like, Oh my God, we want you to direct this movie for us. And we sold it with her as a director on it. So I think it's, I do think that it just, it, it ebbs and flows, right? Like, I think that it's, it's one of these things where, you know, right now perhaps is, is an interesting time. I think people are, are, you know, I don't want to say fearful. It's not really the right word, but I think there is a concern about what, you know, the state of the industry is going to look like if COVID is still, you know, kind of a hindrance in the next year, um, because it's studios are going to have to look at movies, major studios, you know, the Warners and the Sony's of the world are going to have to look at movies in a different way, because if theaters are still only at 25% capacity, you're making it really hard for your movie to make money. So that's why I think a lot of studios are now talking about partnerships with streamers and with, you know, a lot of companies, you know, Warner has HBO Max um, and Universal, you know, has Peacock. Like there's there's different places that have their streamer services, but, um, you know, a Sony, for instance, doesn't have their streamer service. So it's about, you know, maybe now is the time to start forming those relationships with Amazon and Netflix and all the streamers so that you can start, you know, doing these movies in conjunction with streamers so that doesn't feel like you're only relying on box office. Um, so I think that we, I, I, I read everything, I watch everything that comes to me. And if something vibes, if I, if I love what I see or if I love what I read, then I'm all about trying to find something to do with that person. Um, and by the way, like <laughs> I've had so many projects, so many TV shows, so many movies that we've taken out where X amount of people have passed and then the, the, you know, somebody else has said yes. And then you have a movie going or then you have a show mm. going. And, and so I think everybody's appetite is a little bit different um, at each of the studios. Everybody sort of has their own, this is what we want. This is what we don't want. This is what we're not really keen on buying. Um, but I think that uh, for me, it's all about, it's all about what you see on the screen um, when, when it comes to a director. And I feel like if there's talent there, if there's potential there, then I'm all about trying to figure out a way to, get something going with them. Oh my gosh, I feel like this conversation is um, filling like a massive gap in my knowledge base. Like this is pretty <laughs> amazing. So thank you, Becky. Um, sure. A lot of, uh, and uh, sorry to focus on the indie world. That's just kind of no, where no, no. I live, but there seems to be a little bit of a, um, a gap maybe, or maybe a, an imagined gap uh, between repped filmmakers or filmmakers that come out of like the top tier festivals. And then that kind of like, pool of potential emerging filmmakers who could be worthwhile of, of an investment, but just haven't gotten the attention of representation or top tier festivals or commerciality. Um, that being said, how open are you to maybe not unsolicited reach outs, but like if what pushes a film or a, um, a film or script onto your desk if they're not repped by UTA or CAA or Synetic or whatever it is? You know, that's, it's a tricky question because we as a company, we don't take unsolicited submissions because there's so many of them all the time. And, and it, it becomes a little bit of a liability if you're, um, 
you know, if you're, if you look at something and it happens to be kind of close to something you already have, somebody else could say that you stole their product. Like, you know, there's a lot of politics that go into it. We as a company don't generally take unsolicited submissions. We usually have to take submissions that come through somebody we know, somebody that we're familiar with, even if that person's not wrecked by them. But for instance, you know, I have friends in the business who will reach out and be like, okay, this, this writer is not wrecked, but they're amazing. I read their script. This is like another producer or another studio exec, whatever it might be saying just like this person I think is amazing. This person will become something huge. They have no connections within the business other than like me. Um, but I think you should read them because they could be amazing. And then from there, it's like, if I read it and I'm like, oh my God, you're right. This person's incredible. You kind of start uh, for me. I, I try to send that along to managers and, and, and agents that I know. I'm like, Hey, this person's on rep because managers and agents are constantly looking for new clients, right? They're constantly looking for new writers, constantly looking for new directors. And I feel like even for them too, right. It's a different, it's a different thing. They are taking unsolicited submissions. They are looking through so many different avenues than I am, but I try to, if I find something, I'm like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Um, I try to then pay it forward and give it to somebody else to be like, Hey, you're a manager. This person's on rep. You should take a look at this. Yeah. It doesn't happen us. all the time. It doesn't happen all the time. Don't, don't make me out to be like this angel. Um, but it's, it's definitely, you try. Right. And I think coming up in this business uh, as an assistant, um, which, which I was and so many stories there, but like, I think that there's all of where, where all of the people that I've come up in this business with, we're all in, in such different places, but kind of like at that same level, right? Like everyone's an executive now or an age now in terms of like the people I was assistants with or their writers now or their directors now. And so I think when, when you're, you know, coming up with, with the same people and there's also, you know, a bit of a weeding out process. Like a lot of people I came up with are no longer in the business, but I think that the people that are, that you have these relationships with um, you're constantly sort of just like batting people back and forth and they're like, Oh, look at this. Or like, Hey, you should check this out. Everyone's sort of, it's a little bit of a community, right? Everyone's sort of trying to, to help each other out. I'm making, I'm making Hollywood sound like just like <laughs> the most like angelic place to be super friendly. Um, <laughs> super friendly always just like you read in tabloids. Um, no, that yeah, was so I think it's just, I think it's just everybody reading everybody. Everything's everybody's reading everything. Everyone's watching everything. And eventually there's something that kind of pops and you're like, Oh shit. Like I'm not an agent, but like my friend is, so you should go talk to them. So I, I want to go back to um, the story you're telling earlier about uh, Leah McKendrick and um, you know, that project that you're working on with her, because there, there's so many questions I have about um, you know, what you do. And I think if you just talk through us through this one project, we'll, we'll probably answer sure. a bunch. So sure. you said, you know, you, you, you had the general with her, you gave her this idea. She starts to, you know, have these ideas. And then you said, oh, now we have the show at HBO Max. So like, talk to me about this. Sorry, the I just steps. skipped all the steps in between. Skipped <laughs> yeah, all the so steps in between because they're so not important. Um, right. No, yeah, by the way, uh, Leah, so so J Leah and I have many projects together. So this is sort of the beauty of, of meeting somebody on a general, right? And it doesn't always happen like this. And if Leah were sitting here, she'd be like, yeah, it only happens with me. Um, but I think that if you're, <laughs> when you take general meetings, the whole point is to, figure out what what the vibe is between the two of you, What if your sensibilities align, what you could be working on together. And a lot of times, at least for me, when you're 
in these meetings, you end up kind of coming up with ideas in the room together, or you end up coming up with, you know, this writer will, will say like, oh, you know, usually what I ask writers when I have general meetings, is, what else are you working on? You know, I read this one thing, but like, what else do you have in the pipeline? What else are you dying to make? If there was one movie in the world you could make, what would it be? Um, and so you kind of start the conversation off of those questions. And then the writer, you know, oftentimes will come and be like, oh, well, I'm actually, you know, in the middle of writing this spec about this. And I'm like, oh my God, I want to read that right when it's ready. Um, and so I think that that's sort of what's come out of my relationship with Leah is we meet on this general and the first thing that pops into my head, because she's a very, you know, you guys know her, she's very female strong. She's very, she's feminist. She's, you know, everything that she does has um, a feminist take to it. And it's about women empowerment. And I think that um, this particular story, this particular blog that I had read and really become very impassioned about, um, I think she felt the same thing when when the log line was read to her, right? Like, this is what the blog's about. And she's like, sounds really cool. And it's not even the initial, like, oh, I want to do that. It's just like, oh, that sounds interesting. Like, I'd like to take a look. And so, you know, I sent her, I sent her the blog. And then when she, when she too went through the blog fairly quickly, she was just like, there's something just so, um, there's something so amazing about the story. And, and I think that as, a writer as a producer as anybody creative in this business you don't necessarily have to read something and um be able to say oh my god that same thing happened to me but i think that everyone can relate to certain aspects of story right and i think that in this particular story there was something just about um this idea of loss this idea of grief but also this idea of picking yourself up and and keep going right this idea that you know, just because bad things happen doesn't mean that you can't um, overcome them, that you can't find the light at the end of the tunnel. And so I think that she, and she was going through a particular, you know, um, time. And I think that it really, she really engaged with it. And so when she got back from this trip, there, the conversation just like really struck up and we're like, okay, we, let's do this. Let's try and figure out how we turn this into a TV show. Um, and then, you know, <clears throat> some things happened at the Weinstein Company. And so I think that for me, and this was, this was also a little bit of that like lightning striking twice in one place because I had formerly been at Relativity Media, which we also don't have to talk about, but I had formerly been in a studio that had gone through a certain situation where they were, they shut down and it's like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm, you know, the black widow of Hollywood. Um, so I, when this happened, I hadn't made any deals on this, you know, on this blog or anything like that. The, the two producers, the rights holders who had brought this to me, you know, we were just having general conversation about it. And then when everything with, with TWC happened, you know, my fear was what happened at relativity that certain things would get caught up in liquidation or something, you know, get frozen in, with assets and the whole thing. So for me, I was just like, I can't, I can't keep this right now. I have to figure out what my next movie is going to be. I have to figure out how to get out of here. Um, so you, you guys take it, run with it. Like, I love it. I want to be part of it, but I can't do it right now because I don't know what's going to happen here. And so I had to sort of break that news to Leah too. And she was, you know, so upset about the thought of not being able to be involved with it. And then, you know, I left TWC made the jump to escape artists. And the minute I'm not, I'm not even joking. Like the day that I landed at escape artists, my first day on the job, I called the rights holders. And I was like, I landed, I'm at escape artists. Like it's an amazing company. You can read all about it. Like I want this project and I have the perfect writer for it. And at that time, you know, um, I think it was like four or five months had gone by and really like four months. And they were like, Oh, you know, we, we might be down the road, you know, with somebody else or, or they were having conversations because I wasn't involved anymore. Um, and, you know, Lee and I sort of really came in strong and wowed them with 
you know, the thoughts that we had on this and, and what we saw this being as a show and, and they ended up going with us. And then from there, the process is sort of like, you know, Leah specced a pilot. Um, mm. and the, the pilot is still one of my favorite pilots, even though we've, we've changed so much of it at this point, but we, we wrote a pilot and then I, you know, sort of, I, I think when you're really passionate about something, it, it really helps when, when you want the momentum to show, when you really want to get the project out there and try and get things going. Um, and that's not to say that I don't love all my projects. Cause I think, again, the best part about being a producer and not necessarily studio executive is that, you know, it, you get to work on the projects that you want to work on. You get to work on the projects that you love. I work at a place where my bosses are sensational um, and you know genuinely good humans. And I think that they also run a business where they're like, we want producers. We don't want you know people who feel like they have to only work on the things that we have. I don't work on any of my boss's projects. I don't work on, I'm not a part of anything that they have unless they genuinely ask me to do it, but they don't generally, right? They are very self-sufficient. They do their own projects and I have my own projects and that's what it is. It's almost like I have my own slate within a much larger slate. So I think the idea is to work on the projects that really, that you want to spend two years working on, that you want to spend all your time and energy on. Um, and this was certainly one of them and and is, is a project that I feel very, very, very deeply for. And so at that point when we had the pilot, we, I started just taking it out. I started taking it out to, you know, cast. Um, we had a very short list of people that we really loved for it and took it out. And by, we had a short list and we only took it out to two people and both people really liked it. We attached one and then we attached, you know, uh, a supervising producer, a very big supervising producer who has a very, very sh big show on television. And none of this has been announced is why I'm being kind of cryptic. Uh -huh. But then we, then we sold the whole package to HBO Max. Um, and so, and now the process has been, um, you know, we have a showrunner, we have, you know, we have this sort of like lovely little TV show coming to life um, and we're working on, you know, getting it to that next level. And then we hopefully have a greenlit show and we can go make it. I want to focus in on one thing on that. So you said you pitched it to a bunch of, to, to HBO Max, like how many different companies did you pitch it to before HBO Max bought it? Or was it just like you just did that one meeting and then they were like, oh, we're in, we got this. No, I mean, I think you you take it, you know, like like most scripts, like most um, shows or movies, you you take it out. You take it out um, to the places that you think would be best. Now with a TV show, it's not, you don't take it everywhere because it's very it's a very specific show, right? Like it's not a broadcast show. So we didn't go to NBC. We didn't go to, you know, CBS. We didn't go to any of those places, but you go to streamers, you go to premium channels. And I think that narrows it down, right? You cut in half the amount of places you can go to because it's a very specific show. It's got a very specific vibe and it can only be told on those particular, in those particular places. Um, but no, I think, look, like many things, you, you take it out and you get some passes, you get some likes and you kind of just figure out what the, what the best place is going to be. And for us, that was HBO Max. Um, I know we're winding down, but I just have one final question um, before and I might have a final question. So. <laughs> I have a, more questions. <laughs> um, uh, clearly, you're very good at your job and um, you. you uh, sound like you have a very exciting job, but I just was curious if you also, and I believe producing is creative. This is not a knock on producing, but yeah. do you also write? Do you also direct? Are there no. dreams for you in that field? And why yeah. not? <laughs> this is it. Um, you know, I don't know. I think, um, I, you know, in college, I, 
I think I, you know, I went to University of Iowa and they had the number one creative program in the creative writing Go program Hawkeyes. in the country. Okay, sorry. Thank yeah. you. Um, <laughs> they have the number one, that's correct. They have the number one creative writing program in the country. It's a grad program. Um, and I sort of went to that school with that in mind, with that trajectory in mind. I'd gotten um, a scholarship after my freshman year to be in the English honors program. And I, that was my, that was what I wanted to do. Um, I was, but I didn't want to write movies. In my head, I was like, I kind of want to work for a public, like a magazine publisher. I kind of want to be a copy editor or something like that. Um, but I, you know went abroad second semester my my junior year came back a whole new me and just um wanted to be part of storytelling but didn't want to be the person telling the stories so you're talking about doing these pitches so who's on on these meetings like is it is it you is it the showrunner is leah there like like can you just talk about like how yeah, you go out and how you present it for sure i think um when you're taking a project a particular show right because you're you know, you won't have written every episode of the show. You generally have the first episode. Well, not generally. Sometimes you'll have the first episode, you'll have a pilot, and then um, you'll have a Bible. So you'll have the Bible sort of dictates what you think the rest of the series looks like, what you think the subsequent episodes will look like. Um, so yes, having Leah a part of that was crucial um, and would always be crucial because she's the storyteller. She's the one who's created what you have in front of you and can really speak to it. So yes, as producers were there and, but, but a big part of it is like answering, you know, logistical questions afterwards, but she's the storyteller. So she's really talking about the vision behind what the story is and how to get it made or, you know, how, how to, um, how to see the story in scope as opposed to just as a pilot. Cause I think that is sometimes the hardest thing, right? Where you read a pilot or for me, I can read a pilot and be like, wow, this pilot is really excellent, but where does it go? I need like I have no idea how this can expand into 10 episodes or 23 episodes or eight episodes. Um, and so you kind of sit down with the writer and get their take on where the show goes. And sometimes you can kind of work with that. And as a producer, you can kind of be like, well, what about if we did this? How would you see it then? And you kind of can start to piece together what a show would look like. And you take that vision together into a buyer. Yeah. And so then just to, to back to the specifics. So then it would be like you, Leah, and then who else is part of this pitch process? So it depends on who you have, um, who you have attached to the project at that time. So for instance, right. on this TV show, we had a supervising producer um, attached as well. So that person was there. And then we had, you know, the actress at the time that was attached, we had, we had her in, oh, in, wow. in a meeting as well. Um, that's not always the case, by the way, that's not, but, but I do feel like, you know, I do feel like that's a helpful aspect to have when you have somebody um, when you have an actor or an actress attached to something and you know they're passionate about it, for them to also be in the room and talk about why they're passionate about it and what they see in the role is is super crucial. That's not always the case, though. They don't always join those types of meetings. But um, and, and we didn't she wasn't a part of all of those meetings. It was only right. I think it was only like one or two. But um, I think that you have whoever's attached to the time. So however many producers, you know, unfortunately, it's not just about having one producer on something. It's like many people. Right. <laughs> Everybody is a producer on, on things sometimes. So it's like you have your supervising producer and then you have, um, you know, you have escape artists and then you have, um, uh, you know, the, the two producers who had brought this to me. Right. Who are our rights holders who are also producers. So it's everybody. So you end up kind of. Sometimes right. you can go in with like five people. Sometimes you end up going in 10 people deep and you're like, oh my God, this is like a small baseball team. Um, <laughs> so it just really depends. It just really depends. But I think, um, and sometimes by the way, you have three people. There are shows that I've taken out where it's been me and a writer and that's it. 
um, or me and a colleague who's working on it with me and a writer and that's it. So I think because sometimes you don't always package things before you take them out. Sometimes you're just taking them out as a pitch or you're just taking them out. You know, there are sometimes where writers don't write the pilot and it's just a pitch for the show. So you're all you're taking into buyers is that pitch. So all it is, is you and that writer and, and the pitch. So it just varies from project to project. Everything is so different all the time. Nothing's really ever, you know, I, I don't think I have like 10 experiences that are the same. I think they all pose similarities, but they're all different in their own right. And if you win, if you win the game with the face, <laughs> great, great, great word to use. Great word to use. Um, uh, this is a, I shouldn't have asked this with 15 minutes ago, but like the finances, <laughs> the way they trickle down in the waterfall, I mean, is that, uh, is your portion going to escape artists, even though it's your project on the slate, uh, because you're coming at it with the prowess and power of escape artists or how does that ownership? Um, so look, every production company is different. Escape artists is, is very big on giving credit where credit is due. Um, and so escape artists company takes a fee, right? The whole company takes a fee. So they have, you know, they've, Escape Artist has done a lot of movies and many, many years worth of movies. Um, and so they uh, they have a fee as a company, like this is how much we take per movie. And a lot of times that is contingent on budget. You know, sometimes you your fee ends up being a little bit smaller if you have a much smaller budget on a movie. And sometimes it's, it is exactly what you want your fee to be because the movie is a budget. But I think um, I, you know, the way it generally works is you get a piece of what that bigger number is. Um, and, and then you get a credit. So for me, well, everyone loves money, um, and I do. Um, I think that <laughs> that to me is chucked aside for the sake of like getting yourself out there as as a producer with the credits, right? Like getting yourself those those deserved credits for the projects that you have spent X amount of years on or X amount of time on. Um, and, and I think that I work at a place that is very good about making sure that people notice that. Yeah. Cause you're on salary, right? Like you're getting paid, you know, no matter how many pitches you go on, no matter what, like you're just getting paid to go show up every day. And then thankfully, thankfully the company, yeah. and then the company <laughs> makes money when they sell a project. So it's like, you might pitch whatever a hundred projects, but then if you sell five of them, then that funds the whole company basically. Yes. Yeah. Correct. So I think, I think, um, you know, we have a first look deal. Escape Artist has a first look deal on the film side with Sony. So we're on the Sony lot. We have, you know, that's, that's where our feature deal is. And then we have a TV deal with MGM. So our company is sort of divided in that way by, you know, the, the people who we have deals with the places that we have deals with. Um, but, but yes, we, we, that's the whole point of, of, um, not the whole point, but that's a, big part of having a production company is that you have now dictated a fee for yourself as a company. So the company takes X amount of money per movie or per, you know, obviously the, the money they take for a movie is different than the fee that they take for TV shows because those are usually episodic fees. So it's, it's, a, it's a different game for each of them. But once you've established yourself on both ends, then you've, as a company, you've been able to um, acquire that you know, this is, this is how you go out there. Everyone knows now what you're, you know, if we hire escape artists as producers on this movie, this is what we're, this is what we'll have to pay them. You know what I'm saying? So, and it changes obviously, like particularly in TV, you know, the more TV shows you do, the more, you know, so it's just, it's, um, it's an, it's a really, and, and by the way, I'm still sort of, you know, <laughs> I'm still learning about all of these things too, just on the producing side of things. Cause on the studio side, it's very different. Um, but I think that, that is sort of the beauty of, of being on the producing side is that not only do you get credits and studio executives don't generally get credits, right? Like I think that there are very few places, you know, New Line gives credit and um, I think Warner Brothers now gives credit to a certain level of executive um, on certain projects. But I think 
studio studio executives in general don't get producing credit on things. You won't see, you know, studio executive get a EP credit on something. That's just not how it works. Um, It's those credits are for producers, for financiers, for the people who are um, on the other side of things. Um, But that, that for me is, is the way you build a reputation for yourself too, right? Is, you know, I've, you kind of put yourself out there into the community as someone who now has, you know, you're a producer on this movie, like you have a producing credit on this movie, you have an EP credit on this movie. And it's just, every credit will be probably different for lots of different projects, depending on your involvement in them. But that's sort of, again, the beauty of, for me, working at a place like Escape Artist, because they really are, um, they, they're, they're not, they, they have no ego about who they give credit to and, and what that person deserves that credit for. It's sort of like, hey, if you shepherded this movie, if you brought this movie in, and if you were the reason why this movie has sold, like the credit is yours. And I don't think that every place works like that. So I do feel very fortunate to work for, for people who really do want to see everyone sort of succeed and have, um, give credit where credit is due. Um, I think we have to uh, slow down. Oh no, Ulrich has another question, go. <laughs> One more. So. <laughs> You know, most of the, the people listening to this are either filmmakers, aspiring filmmakers, writers, people who've probably written 10 scripts, but maybe never sold anything or mm-hmm. maybe made one movie, but, it, you know, didn't get into any film festivals. Like, you know, so basically the question is, what advice would you give to like the up and coming filmmaker who is trying to, you know, get to the next level and, and get into the position where they can have general meetings, where they can get representation like what should that person do persistence is everything um and i think that uh you know it's such a cliche thing to say never give up and and continually continually put yourself out there and put your material out there i do think that is the best thing that i can say because i i think that there are so many people who don't have connections right who don't come to this business knowing 10 agents or 10 managers or 10 producers or whatever it is and genuinely don't have a foot in the door yet. And so I think to get a foot in the door, it's, it really is about, um, it really is about persistence and, and trying to, um, trying to, you know, there's there, because I think you can look at a blacklist for instance, right. You know, like the blacklist is a thing every year where we vote on scripts. And I think that there are certainly unrepped writers on, on hot list on, on, or sorry, hit list, hot list, hit list, blacklist. Like there are all these, there are certainly people who are unrepped. And I think it's about um, getting, it would be, I think, better for filmmakers, better for writers who are trying to break in to be sending their materials to, you know, the CEAs and and paradigms and UTAs of the world. Because again, agents are so much more capable of taking unsolicited submissions and looking at things and like reading a logline and being like, huh, this sounds kind of cool. Maybe I'll take a look. And there are so many great stories about managers and agents reading something from somebody they didn't know, you know, an unsolicited submission. And then that person is now huge in this business, right? Because it's just about taking a chance. And I think that fear is something that stops a lot of people from um, taking that next step and from feeling like they can just cold email somebody. And by the way, like I've made contacts in this business cold emailing people before I became a producer, before I was a studio executive, where you just sort of like reach out to whosoever email you find online (laughs) and you're like, like, hi, you have no idea who I am, but like, here's who I am. And you kind of just try to do it that way. And you know, it works differently for everybody, I realize. And I know that people come in here knowing somebody and I didn't, I I came into my first internship, not knowing a soul. Um, And that internship led to 
this next thing and that next thing led to the next thing and that led to this and this and this and now here I am. So I think, and by the way, I'm not saying like I started from the bottom now I'm here. Like that's not <laughs> what I'm saying at all. Um, I still think I have a ways to go before I'm 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 at that level. Um, but I definitely think that I was that person making cold calls and making cold emails to try and get people to be like, can I be an assistant? <laughs> can I do, can I, what can I do? Um, and then, and so eventually someone's like, yeah, sure, let's do it. So awesome. that's to me, just persistence is everything. Best answer ever. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, to us off, finally, my segue will work, I think. Um, we have five final questions that are long view questions on you and your career. And I think we could still, I think they're still germane for this conversation. And I personally would love to hear the answer. Uh, first question is, what's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? Oh, boy. Um, well, the first movie that I ever made. So I, I'd been on set a lot. So my old boss, Robbie Brenner from Relativity is my mentor. Um, the first movie I was ever really on set for was um, Machine Gun Preacher, which was the Gerard Butler movie um, mm -hmm. from, from quite a few years ago. Um, so it was like the first movie I was really on set for where I was like, oh my God, this is, this is how it works. This is how a movie gets made. But I think the first movie that I shepherded that was mine um, was a Nick Sparks movie called The Best of Me, um, which was Michelle Monaghan and um, Jimmy Marston and Liana Liberato and Luke Bracey. Um, and that was sort of the first movie as a studio executive, as a CE, as my first, you know, executive role at a studio um, where I manned the movie. I was on set for the entire duration of the movie, which is very rare for studio executives. Um, but I was there the whole time with, you know, um, our amazing producers, Denise Sanobi and Allison Greenspan. And I have never learned so much in my entire life. Like that was the first movie that I really was like, holy crap, this is how it works. This is how it's done. This is how you get from both the studio side and watching the producers do their thing as producers. Um, it was just, it was mesmerizing. And I, I still look back on that movie incredibly fondly. You know, the movie, I think Michael Hoffman directed it, who's, who's really sensational. And I think that as a first experience for me, that movie is always going to hold a very special place in my heart. I, you know, I'm not necessarily the person today where I'd be like, I'd like to do a hundred Nick Sparks movies, but I, I think that there's something to say about this particular movie. And, um, you know, just, I, it's like your first experience doing something always manages to, to be the thing that you look back on being like, I loved it. <laughs> What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Oh man. Um, so much advice over the years. Um, I think the best advice I ever got was from my very first boss, my very first assistant job, Dallas Sanier, um, at a, at a small company that no longer exists called Caliber Media. Um, it was my first assistant job out of my first internship. So I was straight out of college. I was like three months out of college. Um, and I, it was all so different for me, all so new. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is a nonstop job. It was a brand new company. It was six months old and it was, um, you know, it was a management production company. And I think the best advice was what Dallas said to me, uh, I think my first like month on the job where he's like, in this business, there's no light switch. And if you can turn off a light, like you're, you could probably be turning that light on more. Um, so there's no light switch. And I think the the best, you know, I think one of the interesting things somebody that, that he ever said to me was, can you see yourself doing anything else? Is there anything else in the world that you're like, oh, I could really do great at this or I would love to do this someday because if you can go do it because this business <laughs> is, is, is a complicated business and it's a lot. And if you don't love it, if you can't see yourself doing it 24 hours a day or like at the end of the, I'm not saying you have to spend, you know, every waking hour doing it, but coming up as an assistant, like if you can't see yourself really like zoning in on this job, then like, you know, good luck. 
I'm so glad you're on the show. Uh, do, <laughs> do you, what are your career goals? You talked about how you, you think you have a far way to go. Um, well, what, what do you, where are you going? Um, to Mars. No, I think that, um, <laughs> when, when I say that, I think, you know, I look at, I look at Todd Black who runs escape artists and I, I think that he is the emblem for me of like the type of producer that I want to be. I think that he is the nicest man in Hollywood. That's literally his nickname. People, I say Todd Black, they're like, oh, the nicest man in Hollywood. Cool, cool, cool. I think that um, it, it's about the way that you put yourself out there into, into Hollywood, into the community, into the people that you talk to on a daily basis. And he is that person that people just like love to do business with. And it makes it so that he gets the best projects. Like he, he you know, he's made a hundred Denzel Washington movies, sure. But he gets he gets those projects. He's the one who, you know, Denzel reaches out to you to be like, Hey, what about this project? Or like, you know, I think that the level of talent that he is, um, befriended that the amount of talent that genuinely always want to work with him, I think is something that is not just indicative of making good movies, but indicative of being that type of producer, that type of person, that type of human that you want to be around all the time and feel like if you're making a movie with this person, with this company, you're in good hands because you know it's going to be quality shit. Um, so I think that that's, for me, um, where I say when I, well, I want to get to a certain level, I want to make amazing movies. I want to make amazing shows. I want to be Oscar nominated at some point. But I think that like more than that, I, I want to be somebody that people want to make those movies and those shows with. If you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? Oh man. Um, <laughs> oh, so many things I could say that I'm not going to say on this. Um, I think, um, <laughs> I think that um, the, the best piece of advice I would give to myself is, um, you know, probably, probably, <laughs> probably read more. I would say what? when you're when, <laughs> honestly, honestly, I say this and I say this because I think that you read so much when you become an executive, but like I was, you know, particularly when I got onto um, Robbie's desk, when I was working for Robbie before she promoted me, I was trying to read everything that, you know, came into her but at a certain point, right? Like when you first become an assistant, you're really just focused on not fucking up this desk. Like you're really just focusing on not dropping calls and making sure things are scheduled appropriately and making sure that like, you know, your, your boss wants to keep you around. Um, and then I think towards, towards the latter half of my time as an assistant for Robbie in particular, I started reading, I did started devouring everything that came into her to the extent where like, she would want to start having conversations with me about those scripts. So like, Oh, I read this. What did you think? And then I'd be able to respond. Cause I had already read it, you know, three times. So I'm like, Oh, well, here's what I think. And then you end up getting, you know, she let me come into meetings with her or she let me stuff like that until she finally promoted me. But I think, um, I think that that is the thing that I would tell anybody who's in this business as an assistant is, whether or not you're an agent's assistant or you're a producer's assistant or you're a studio executive, read everything because it'll help dictate and kind of guide you as to what you're going to want to do. Especially, you know, when you come in as an assistant, not everybody knows what they want, what path they want to lead. Some people come in and work at the agencies because it's a great way to make connections and it's a great way to um, get to know the scene. Um, but not everyone wants to be agents. They want to be producers. They want to be writers. They want to be whatever it is. So I, I feel like the best way to learn is by devouring everything that you have in front of you. Um, so I would probably have done that a little bit more earlier on as an assistant. Final question, is making movies hard? It's so fucking hard. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Sorry. It is It is so hard, um, but I, but it's so worth it, right? Because for all of the, for, for as much as this business ebbs and flows, uh, for every tile that gets knocked down, you know, I feel like the one time the tile gets picked up and all the tiles are in a row and they're all standing, you're like, holy shit, I get to work in this business. 
Um, and, and that for me is, is everything. Those, those moments where you get to that final level or you get to that green light level or you get to make something that you've been so passionate about, I think makes all of the, <laughs> all of the downfall, the kicking and screaming worth it. Wow. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you guys. Show. Thank you guys. Really good questions. Thank you. It was so nice meeting you both. I appreciate you having me on. Um, and I, I can't wait to listen to all the other people that come on your podcast, <laughs> see how so, better they answer questions. <laughs> so are you, uh, are you out in the world? Like, is there a way that people can find you if they want to learn more about you? Where should they go? Like, do you have a Twitter? Do you have a website? Should they go to escape artists? Like where should people go? See, this is where Leah is just so much better. Right. Because like the actress in her, she's just so like, like she's, she's, she's very much like, yeah, reach out to me. Like I'm on Twitter. I'm always, I'm not, um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite private. I think on, in terms of, of like you know instagram or in terms of um yeah, I, I you're have reading a, all the time you have no time to tweet <laughs> for sure <laughs> i have um i have you know i have a, a twitter account that i don't think i've ever sent a tweet on um i don't even know if i know how to tweet i'm not gonna lie to you um i feel like a nine-year-old woman saying that but um it's sort of true um i you know i think that um uh you know I, if people want to ask questions um I think that <laughs> I don't really know the best way to do it. Um, probably email or probably, um, uh, you know, obviously studio system, you know, which is a lot of people don't have studio system because it really does feel like a, a channel to use within the business. Um, like when you're at bigger companies. Um, but I would say, you know, can, can people ask questions like off of your podcast? <laughs> yeah. Ask us questions and we'll, we'll send them to you. How about that? Done. I'll make you guys do extra work because you need that. Um, yeah. yeah, no, We're happy I, think, to. <laughs> <laughs> I think I don't have like really open, um, social media. Um, maybe I should, maybe I should just start one just to have an open account that five people will follow. Um, cause I'm not nearly as, as cool as Leah, but, um, but yeah, I think that's probably email or something is probably the best way. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And thanks to Becky Sanderman for coming on the show. And for a friend of the show and previous guest, Leah McKendrick, for making the connection to Becky. Check out our website, makingmoviesishard.com, where you can find links to the things we talked about on this episode. If you would like to get in contact with us, send us an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at MMIH podcast. I am at Liz Manichel on Twitter and at Liz Manichel film on Instagram. Ulrich, where are you? I am Ulrich B on Twitter. Um, and I think I'm at Ulrich Brissell on Instagram. I think I just realized um, it's not Ulrich B. And then, uh, yeah, I am on Facebook just as my name, Ulrich Brissell. Amazing. Uh, please, if you like the show, tell a friend, help us get the word out, leave a review. And uh, special thanks to Ulrich for editing this episode possibly this one yes me <laughs> yes thank you Ulrich for your wonderful editorial prowess and we will talk to all y'all next week educational I, mean, I would educational, say yeah I mean oh crap the doorbell just rang okay <laughs> If you want to get in contact with us, I promise we'll respond. We'll respond more than you want us to. Uh, send us an email to podcast and making movies hard. If you want to get in contact with us, send an email to podcast and making movies hard. Oh my lord! <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, I'm gonna do it again. <laughs> <laughs>